Welcome to the Garden Wise Show with Colorado's most knowledgeable and entertaining garden experts, the Garden Wise Guys, Keith Funk and Jim Borland. Get ready for gardening tips that you can use right now. New plants, hot products, and the latest from horticultural science. The lines are open, so call into the Legend Studio now. 303-477-2473. 303-477-2473. On the air since 1994, the Garden Wise Guys have the answers to your questions about gardening in the high-altitude desert of the Colorado Front Range. And now, here are your hosts, the Garden Wise Guys. Good morning, everybody. It is time for the Garden Wise Guys show right here on Legends 810. We're going to do a garden show here this morning, and the way this operates is that with your garden question in mind, why give us a call? We would like to learn what's going on in your garden world. Here's the number 303-477-2473. And one of the Garden Wise Guys, me, Jim Borland, or Living the Dream, Keith Monk, Oh, good the morning. Phone. Yes, indeed. Aren't we all living the dream this morning? Yeah, it just pinched me. Yeah, like after what, the third snowstorm in the month of February? Somebody told me that we're having the wettest January, February on record. Is that, that correct? Uh, that could be true. We've broken some uh, low temperature records over the past week or so. 11 degrees this morning when I woke up. <clears throat> That's chilly in anybody's book. Oh, man. And then by... <clears throat> Midweek, we'll be in the 60s. In the 60s, coming Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> uh, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, it can just stay there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. And if you want to know, the record low temperature for this date was minus 20. That happened in, uh, when did that happen? 1902. So that was a long time ago. Like, like it didn't happen. That's right. No, that's right. And the highest temperature for this date, 73 in 1982. Mm. That's the difference, by the way, if you do the math and carry the seven. 93 degrees. 93. <laughs> I, keep think, <laughs> I keep remarking this, obviously, almost every week. And it's just remarkable that we can still garden here, knowing full well that tomorrow may break low temperature records or high temperature records. Or both. <laughs> In one day. <laughs> I think we've had that happen. We've, well. se- we've seen it. You, you and I have both seen it here. Oh, I know. 80 degrees one day, and by that evening, it's down in the, the single digits or yep. below. Uh, yep. Our plants don't like that. No, they don't. They I start have, exploding. That's right. I have a tree in the backyard that did just that, and it's coming out this spring. The it damage was so bad. I mean, it looks, if you, if you ignore the damage, it looks still pretty good, but no. Well, I was asking Jim. I said, "Why haven't, why haven't they?" Yeah, they, those, them. The white coats with clipboards and stuff. Why haven't they isolated the hardiness gene and started pl- in, in injecting it into other plants? Yeah, like palm trees. Yeah, <laughs> and orange trees. Yeah, and avocados. Since we're having a problem getting those up. That's here. right. I'd love to have an avocado in my yard. A small one. I, they get they're huge trees. Yeah, but they take up too much space. There's dwarf ones. Yes, there are. They're in papayas. They have dwarf papayas, too. I would like a papaya. Wouldn't that be nice? Harvest one of those every day. Mm. Or a mango. That's a big tree, That's too. That's a huge tree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and you, and you, you can't harvest them unless you have a cherry picker. Then we could really? we start a business. <laughs> Ran out our cherry picker just to pick mangoes in people's yeah, backyards. In Colorado. Yeah, why not? I see it. It's in the future, Keith. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, they're doing all this gene splicing stuff. I know. I mean, they should be able to identify where the hardiness is in the genes. And, and yet, after and all... yank them out of and there. And yet, after all these years of being able to gene splice and manipulate, and we still don't have a blue rose. That's true. Although a lot of them called blue. But none of them are. And there's a lot of pictures of blue. <laughs> oh, yeah. That have been photoshopped <laughs> to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we do finally have a red... African violet. Yes, they do. That took years. It did. It took a long time. And same thing with, um, I'll think of this here in a minute. Oh, dear, dear, dear. He says, delphinium. There's a red one. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. There, there are several really dark red ones. No, it's yeah. pink. No, not pink. They're red. Red, 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 red. And the, and well, don't we have a species of... Delphinium in, in the U.S. that is red? That's no. a species delphinium? No. No? No, you're lying. That's oh. false news. <laughs> where am I, where am I, what am I thinking of then? <clears throat> no. Not a red one, huh? No. Okay. Now, there is a, a is it a relative? Lobelia? Kind of. Oh, yeah, kinda, I know Lobelia. Yeah, yeah Cardinalis. Those were all blue at one time. Now they have red ones. Well, I thought Cardinalis was red and Syphilitica was blue. Oh, that's true. There always has been Cardinalis. Yeah. Uh, wrong there. But also, we what other plants are we waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Let me break out my list. It's as <laughs> thick yeah. as a book. You don't have to. Just go on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. And look at all those pictures coming in from all over the world. Wonderful, wonderful plants. <clears throat> bulbs from high elevations, dry climate. They oh, do no. great here. I know. Can't find them. There, there's a big giant chunk, chunk of Asia, like like what he says, Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. <clears throat> Not up in the higher or, or in the mid-range, but down in the deserts, cold deserts, mm -hmm. dry deserts, have all kinds of plants that we could grow here. Cool foliage. Oh, man. And the one I posted yesterday, the day before, from the stragglers, I, I want to say it was in Iran. That was weird. Isn't that weird? It was a shrub. Yeah. Completely covered in pinkish-red blossoms that didn't look at all like an astragalus. No, no. It looked like a powder puff tree or something. It did. Uh, then there's those uh, buff buffoons. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. the buffoon plants. The buffoon plants. The baboon plants. <laughs> yeah. And lecanellas. I know. All kinds of cool stuff. I, I, I that we don't have access to. And no, I'm, no, we don't. I, 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 I need to sue somebody <clears throat> over that. Really? It's just hard to get stuff in from over, from overseas, anywhere. Anymore, yeah, with all the CITES laws. Yep. And yep. So on and so forth. I mean, we could get our own license to do that. Yeah. You have to jump through hoops to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Knoll did it. Did he? Yeah. No, well, I'm sure the botanic gardens, you know, Pandiote yeah, goes traveling all the yeah. time yeah, and collects stuff. I'm assuming legally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's stories surrounding that, by the way. I'm sure. <laughs> Not all of which is totally legal. Well, there was a, there was a <coughs> Phragmopedium, or was it a Paphiopedalum? Covacii. I think Paph. Paph Covacii. Came from one of the South American countries. I want to say Peru. It was smuggled into the country. And this is, this is fairly recently. This was in the late, I want to say, 1900s. Mm -hmm. 
And it was smuggled into the country. <clears throat> oh, what was that? Fairchild? Could be Fairchild Gardens. Fairchild Florida. down in Florida? Yeah. Now, there's people in jail over that. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> over a flower. I know. And what was this uh, annual bedding plant? Was it? I think it was a petunia. Uh, overseas, they had somewhere had manipulated it and come up with an, I think it was an orange-flowered petunia, which is a strange color for petunia. Mm-hmm. And um, smuggled it or somehow got it into this country. And the feds got a hold of it and said, ah, we're going to gather all those up and destroy them. And they did. <clears throat> now we're jumped through all the hoops you need to jump through, and uh, it's finally back again. I think it's an orange-flowered petunia. Well, back in the day, you know, the, the peace rose that everybody knows, <coughs> peace rose, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was smuggled into the U.S. Yes. to protect it from the war, yep. World War II. from France, yep. in a briefcase. <laughs> That's right. We need more briefcases. We need to go gather through. all of those peace roses up and destroy them. <laughs> yeah. They came uh, here without any papers. That, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, we don't have any callers yet. People, you have your own stories regarding your plants? Or somebody else's plan. We're not really particular here. Um, give us a call at 303-477-2473. Noticed in my neighborhood, and probably by extension, everywhere in the country. I was watching my neighbors uh, shovel their sidewalk. Mm. And they're shoveling the snow into the, the streets. Street. Yeah. Which means that, uh, for one thing, the streets just take that much longer to melt, mm-hmm. which I'm on a slight hill, and that makes it difficult to get on down the hill. But I'm thinking if they had just turned their body 90 degrees and shoveled it onto their grass. Or snow it onto their grass. They would have saved some money in the irrigation. Mm-hmm. And besides the money, it's good for <clears> the plants. <throat> I mean, that even more important, it's better for the plants. Really? I mean, that's like white gold. You know, the snow's got a little bit of nitrogen in it. Yeah. And that's a fertilizer for your lawn. And, and it's slow perennial. release. Yeah, and slow release, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so, people, if you're shoveling your snow or snow blowing your snow, your snow, you know, uh, snow blow it onto your plants. You it can do it that. It's them. okay. Yeah, it won't hurt them. No. And it just provides that much extra water that you don't have to provide and pay for. Why not? Yeah, Really? Come on, people. All my snow goes on them. What do you got blooming under uh, your snow? <laughs> under a foot. Of, literally, everything is under a foot of snow in my yard. Everything. There's no no grass at all. Mm. My whole front yard is melted off. It's south-facing, yeah. west-facing. Yeah, I don't have one of those. I have crocus in flower. I, I don't want to hear that. I noticed them yesterday <laughs> for the first time this year. They're a little bit late. <laughs> late? Yes. <laughs> Normally, I mean, according to my Facebook memory posts that yeah, they yeah. throw at me from six years ago or whatever, you know, that they're they're about two weeks late yeah. compared to some other years. Well, I, I, These are snow crocus. These aren't the big, big Dutch crocus. Yeah. So they I, should I, bloom in I got snow. lots of them in the yard. Yeah. And as soon as the snow comes, I got to quick get out there and, and, and rake out the leaves and stuff from my neighbor's yard. Because the crocus, crocus are going to want to come up pretty quick. Yes, they are. And I've got snowdrops blooming, yeah. too. And once they're up, it, 
it's hard to do anything in there mm -hmm. without damaging them. And tulips are up. Daffodils. <coughs> tulips aren't blooming, of course, no. but I see foliage coming. Same with daffodils. Um, all those early minor bulbs like China doxa and mm -hmm. squill and that sort of thing. I see foliage okay. poking. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it won't be long. Those 60-degree temperatures we're going <laughs> to be getting here yeah, that's gonna shortly is going to speed things up nicely. Yeah, I have to go out and, and sharpen my rake. Sharpen? Yeah, get it ready. <laughs> <laughs> no, I need to sharpen my tools in order to be ready and jump on it right away as soon as the snow melts. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. I, I use my hedge clippers on a lot of stuff, the perennials and other stuff. Yeah. I do, too. I start at the top and just... Yeah, just clip them down into yeah. small increments and then just leave it lay as yeah. mulch. I would too, except I have so many leaves in my yard. I got to rake those out because mm -hmm. they smother things. So anyway, yeah, they come in handy. So I make sure those are sharpened and oiled up and ready to go. I figure, why not? I'll sharpen the rakes too while I'm at it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Oh Lord! Hey, we got a caller who wants to call. Who want? Who already called us? Who wants to talk about? I don't know what it is. I can't read it from here. The print well, is too, me, way me, too small. Let me put my eyes in. Yeah, I want. To, can you can you have that print in Helvetica, Sean? <laughs> I, like in eighteen. <laughs> yeah, eighteen. Points. Eighteen point. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see it from over here. One million font. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, we've got Billy and Morrison wanting to talk to us about shrubs. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. Um, I just wondered if it's time yet for me to trim back the old canes on things like forsythia and red and yellow twig dogwood. When can I start trimming my bushes? Give, me, give it about another 10 seconds and then you can start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, you can. What you, is, yeah, you can do that now. Absolutely. This is a great time for pruning. Blue, well, what about blue flax? You can cut that to the yeah, ground. Right to the ground. Uh huh. I can. Okay, yeah, before yeah. it starts budding out and all that sort oh, of yeah, thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it blooms okay. best. You know, sometimes that blue flax, especially that narbone yeah. variety, will stay green right throughout the winter, and you think, oh, yeah, well, maybe yeah. it's going to bloom better that way. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. No. Okay. All right. Well, I'll get on that. Yeah. Once it gets under, uh, from under the three feet of snow that I've piled oh, yeah. on it. Good yeah. for you. And the, yeah. se and the seeds okay. are. Seeds are long, long gone. I think the seeds fall off the day after the blooms go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I needed to know. I appreciate your help. You bet. Thanks for calling, Billy. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And anybody else out there has perennials, you can cut them down now if you want. Absolutely. And um, perennial grasses. In and fact, and some and of the perennial grasses like <clears throat> Carl Forrester and yeah. Blue Avena grass that start to green up early, you need to get out there soon. Yeah, really soon. Because they're going to start putting up new growth, and you don't want them all nipped off. And if you cut down low enough, we're not advising that, but if you cut down low enough, you'll see green already there. Yeah. Even even through this 11-degree temperature we had last night. Mm -hmm. And also, she mentioned forsythia, our last caller, Billy, mentioned forsythia. And there are a number of spring-flowering shrubs like forsythia or pussy willow, uh, any of the spring-flowering plums and... A lot of the fruit trees, you can go cut branches off right now, put them in a vase in the house, and they'll bloom. That's right. And the, for my pussy willow is pussy willowing. Already. Is it really? They're, they're starting to push, yeah. I can see color. Cool. 
great time to go cut some yeah, and bring I, them in. Yeah, this year I cut this particular sh shrub all all the way to the ground. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a good it, idea I for pussy every, willows. Do it every two years. Yeah, and it just bounces back up. Much health, really healthy. Oh yeah, lots of the lots of the little willowy things, fuzzy things yep. come on them that way. And if you let pussy willows get old and thick yeah. and large, they get canker, they get all kinds of diseases, and they fall yeah. apart and yeah. look terrible. And it's just a good idea yeah. every few years to go cut them to the ground. I do the same thing with forsythia, every few years to the ground, man. Yeah, I don't know that I have any forsythia left. I had two. I dug one out. I got tired of it yeah. not blooming. Yeah, mine too. I <clears throat> and when it does bloom, it, it's great, but that's like once every five years in, in my in my yard. And they take up so much space. They do, and they're not the prettiest shrub throughout the rest of the summer. No. So I left one <clears throat> temporarily. <laughs> it's on probation. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they should be... Getting ready to push bud pretty soon. What else is going on? I noticed that all of my hellebores have new buds pushing up from the base, getting ready to flower soon. I'm going to assume I do mine too, but they're like I said, they're under a foot of snow yet. Mm -hmm. The uh, elephant ears in the basement are pushing up new leaves, mm -hmm. and, and your giant leafed canna is already three feet tall. <laughs> All right. That thing, you can watch it grow. <laughs> get a head start on that one. <laughs> well, my, my plan is on all of my cannas because they all decided they're going to start growing. So, you know, I'm not going to fight it. I'm just going to let them grow. And then sometime in early April, I'm going to cut them all back to the ground and, uh, and let them grow back up so that they're short and they're not tall and floppy. Because I let them grow yeah. tall last year before I put them out, yeah. and they never adapted to outdoors. No, there's no. Never. No. So The new shoots do, but the, the old, new shoots, you know. but the older ones, no. So they couldn't take the wind. They couldn't take the sun. They didn't like the lack of humidity. Yeah. So this year they're going to get cut down again in early April maybe because by the end of May I'll want to put them out. So that gives them a nice six weeks to regenerate. Yep. And that way they won't be that big, and they'll adapt better. And they'll start growing like a weed. Well, that's the plan, Stan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the elephant ears don't seem to care. It doesn't seem to matter to them. As long as I put them under the deck for a week or ten days before I move them out to their final spot, they adapt. Hello? What? I'm thinking. What are you thinking I'm about? Thinking, thinking. You should see this face. <laughs> you got to give me time to it think It looks painful. <laughs> Earth to Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. obviously, I'm not going to be able to talk to Jim anymore. <clears throat> no. So give us a call, 303-477-2473. And we can, we can talk here. Why don't we go ahead and take our first break, and uh, we'll come back and do something else. We're going to take our short, uh, short first break. It won't be very long. Uh, I'll give you time to come up with a question and give us a call. We'd love to talk to you rather than each other. Obviously, I run out of words. So come on, <laughs> give us a call right here on Legends 810. <laughs> 
Plants in general are good for the soul, and many studies show people are healthier and happier when surrounded by plants. You will find a nice selection of house plants and some great pots to add interest to your decor at Jared's Nursery and Garden Center. House plants not only add beauty to your living space, they make it healthier by removing toxins and pollutants from the air in your home. Spider plants, philodendron, dracaena, and peace lilies are just some of the common plants that can be great air purifiers. If you're having trouble with existing plants, the staff at Jared's can help you determine the problem and recommend a solution. Maybe the only good thing about COVID is that it resulted in many new gardeners. Jared's has a great selection of seeds, including heirloom and many unusual varieties of flowers and vegetables, tomatoes, peppers, sunflowers, zinnias, and others. Check out their website, jaredsgarden.com, for classes beginning February 5th to help as you plan for spring. Jared's Nursery and Garden Center is located on West Bulls Avenue between Kipling and Sims. Winter hours are 9 to 5, 7 days a week. They thank you for your support in 2021 and look forward to serving you in 2022. Advertise your product or service with the Garden Wise Guys, the most listened to radio gardening show in Colorado since 1994. Radio talk show hosts Keith Funk and Jim Borland are dedicated to supporting and promoting independent businesses and the products and services you sell. The reason for their success is they help their advertisers. This is a destination show every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m., simulcasting on both a.m. and f.m. People are gardening in larger numbers than ever, and radio advertising is timely, adaptable, targeted, and affordable. Listeners can catch the show at home, in the car, at work, and at play. On the radio, computer, or mobile device, the radio is there. Today's competitive marketplace demands an active medium, and that's radio, capable of stirring emotion, creating demand, and selling your product or service. Contact the Garden Wise Guys now. Email thegardenwiseguys at gmail.com. Thegardenwiseguys at gmail.com. What's your lawn good for? After all that watering and maintenance, is your lawn supposed to be admired like some ancient statue in a museum? No! It's supposed to be enjoyed. It's for you, your kids, grandkids, pets, and friends. You should spend warm summer evenings leisurely eating dinner, afternoons watching kids and animals run back and forth. It's a place to have water balloon fights or touch football games. But your grass can't take that kind of pounding. Soon you see dry patches that turn into dirt and mud. You need a lawn that has been engineered to withstand lots of traffic and still thrive in our Colorado climate. You need Colorado's own Turf Mix. It's a well-balanced blend of award-winning grasses that grow in sun or moon shade and tolerate heavy foot traffic. The aggressive root system creates a dense, thick, wear-resistant turf, perfect for outdoor adventures. Plus, it's insect, disease, and drought-resistant. Colorado's own Turf Mix is available at your favorite local independent garden retailer. And we are back taking your phone calls. When you give us a call, we haven't received but one call this morning. We are set up to take lots of calls, so do it now, 303-477-2473. And while we await that call to come in, I'm going to report that with all the snow we've had lately, you would think that we're way above average, but as reported by the reporters. (laughs) Them. (laughs) Them. Those guys. Statewide, we are at 97% of average for snow depth. The Platte River area, which is where we are in this in this basin here, it's at 101 percent. 
So that is reflecting some of our latest snowfalls. Mm -hmm. And the highest in the state, and this is good news, is Gunnison. And they typically, over the past couple of years, have been severe drought. And I don't know, the, however, that, that all this snow is going to have much of a lasting effect on our drought here in, in the state. It helps um, temporarily, and then once it starts melting, then we drift back into, into drought areas again. Do you have a number for Gunnison? I do, 109%. All right, there you go. That's some good news. I'll take it. Yep. And while we're mentioning kinds of things like this, <clears throat> check out our Facebook page. We mentioned a, an astragalus. I think it was from Iran, and, and there's a picture there on our Facebook page. Its name is astragalus fasciculifolius, which just kind of rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Don't you know? Beautiful-looking thing. God, Lord, it's a pretty plant. But also pictures there of the latest Chick Charms. They have a whole new series now that are the Giants. Yes. Big one. Big as your face. Um, a whole giant uh, field, almost a field full of <clears throat> blooming ice plants. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I don't think I've seen that many ice plants in one place. I don't remember where that was. It's not, I don't think it was in this country. There's so many good ice plants out there. Picture there also of the largest manzanita probably in in a residential situation. It's an Arctostaphylus patula or greenleaf manzanita that's in someone's front yard right uh, here in the Denver area. Big plant. Beautiful plant. My goodness, I wish I had like a dozen of those. Mm -hmm. What else is there? Probably the largest curl leaf mountain mahogany. Cercocarpus letifolius, and perhaps also its cousin, Cercocarpus intricatus, growing in that same yard, probably the biggest in the state in, in a residence. I don't know of any bigger. There might be some bigger on the West Slope, but I, didn't, I haven't been over there in now years. Well, that uh, manzanita you're talking <laughs> about, somebody came and took a bunch of cuttings. A thousand, so I hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently you couldn't even tell, <clears throat> no, that they'd been removed. And uh, had, took them back up to the northwest and rooted them. And we have it on good authority that in April, whenever, there's going to be the uh, Rock Garden show and sale. Mm -hmm. And there'll <clears throat> be some of them there. That's what I hear. I hope so. And perhaps others as well. Uh, can't be too many, too many other species, I don't think. There aren't many others that are cold-hardy for this area. And by the way, we've been talking about manzanitas for a while. This is a shrub, by the way, mm -hmm. that is evergreen, broadleaf evergreen. Right. Uh, it does bloom, but it's not going to perhaps ever be known for blooms. But they are pretty blooms when it does. Yes. Um, and there are uh, cousins of it, uh, a couple of which are in plant select right now. One's called Panchito. Um, Chieftain. Chieftain is the other one. And then one called Bearberry, which is probably a hybrid between, I'm going to say it's a hybrid between Patchla and Kinnikinnick. Well, and if, you, if, if you're familiar <coughs> with our native Kinnikinnick up in the mountains, the ones that we're talking about, these manzanitas, which are relatives, mm -hmm. um, are like kinnikinnick on steroids. Yeah. Much much larger plants. In fact, some of the ones, one of the ones I have in my front yard, the <clears throat> the leaves are like, not as big as euonymus or holly leaves. Oh, yeah. 
But the wonderful thing about them is, number one, they don't take much water. And number two, you can plant them in full shade, intermediate. You can plant them in full sun. They're happy wherever you put them. Mm -hmm. And they look the same this time of year, even with zero-degree temperatures, as they do in the middle of summer. At 95-degree temperatures. They're beautiful. Yep, they're gorgeous. And we have, we have a real... Um, oh, gosh. I hate it when my brain doesn't connect to my tongue. Dad, <coughs> we, we, we just don't have enough broadleaf evergreens here in Colorado. We just... The word, uh, word you're looking for is a deficit. Deficit. Thank you. I keep thinking of dearth, and that's not right. <laughs> it's a D word, though. <laughs> we have a deficit that's right. of broadleaf evergreens here because of our winter sun. And it's really hard on things like boxwood that everybody wants to plant yeah. and you, evergreen euonymus. Winter sun just burns them up, typically. Now, yeah. <laughs> there's always exceptions to that rule. Oh, uh, yeah. I see yeah. it all the time. Yeah. And how that happens, I'm not quite sure, but hey, good on you, man. The one that is native, that's a use extensively, is the ground cover, uh, what do we call it? Bar- no, I guess I was going to say barberry, but a Mahonia. Mahonia. Oh, Reapins? Reapins, thank you. I love that one. Think of that. And there are cousins to it that grow up in the Northwest that get to be much, much taller. But this time of year, they go from, well, they're, all, they're no longer green. They're purple. They're purple. Burgundy and purple, yeah. shades of dark, dark green, up to almost black. And uh, they, they work quite well in shade and in full sun. Which is unusual, an yes. evergreen in full sun. Yeah. And they have a nasty habit of blooming in the spring. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, very fragrant yellow flowers. Oh, they're gorgeous. And bees love them. Mm-hmm. So if you're into bees, this is a plant you may want to, uh, to highlight. And if you've got a pine tree or a spruce tree that you're trying to grow something under and it just doesn't want to work, try Mahonia Reapins. Yeah. You just I've plant one, they sucker, they go underground. Mm-hmm. Easy to control, though. Oh, yeah. I've got it in my backyard under two big pine trees, and it's just glorious. I mean, it keeps that area covered. The needles filter through it somehow yeah. from the trees. I don't know exactly how that works. Um, but they never seem to be smothered by the needles from the trees. And like Jim said, beautiful spring flowers, yellow, and then that's followed by purple berries. Which you can eat. I wouldn't recommend it, though. They taste nasty. Yeah, they're they're not great. You have to to let them get really ripe. And then you pick them, and then you, I think it's like a pound of sugar per pound of fruit. (laughs) (laughs) To make jelly or jam or something. Yeah. But it won't hurt your dogs. No. And the, and the leaves look ho- like holly. They do look like holly. But they're not prickly like holly. No, oh, they're kind of prickly. Well, kind of. But a little bit. It's kind of a tickly prickly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good description. They should add that. Tickly prickly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that could be a good name for a new, for a new variety. But However, there are other Mahonias that the leaves not only are prickly, but they'll draw blood. Yes, okay. they, that's right. <laughs> What's that big one that they grow up in the Northwest? Has the long leaves. Oh, almost looks like a palm tree. Pinata? Pinata? Is that it? There, there's a bunch of others that can grow. We can't grow. We can't grow. Uh, I was thinking it was Baileyi or something it, like that. Could be. But there are a bunch of things. And Navinii is another They're one. so pretty. Yeah. They have a bunch of those at the Botanic Gardens. Oh, yeah? I've been able to locate a few of them. It's like, eh, meh. Meh. It's <laughs> just not really happy here. <laughs> Well, there is there's the the ground cover <coughs> Mahonia, which is Mahonia repens. Yeah, it's also known as 
creeping Oregon grape holly. And that's our native one. Mm-hmm. Now, then there's also a larger form called Mahonia compacta. Compacta. Which will grow up three to four feet tall. Mm-hmm. Takes a little while to get that big. Yes. And then there's just a straight Mahonia aquifolium. Aquifolium. Um, that thing will eat your house. Yes, they get to be large. They, they do get large. They used to be popular here. You don't see them around very much. No, anymore. no, you don't see them around much. And I don't know why not, because it's a nice evergreen. It grows quickly, and it doesn't mind being whacked. Yeah. You, you can, whack, can whack it to the ground, yeah. and it'll come right back. Come right back up. So, you know, I, th- I think it has a place. Oh, it does. Everything has a place. Um, the smaller landscapes anymore can't afford to grow too, m- too many really large plants like that, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but you can, there are other Mahonias that you can grow full sun without any water once they're established that are also not only evergreen, but they're ever blue. Which one's the that? The foliage is, foliage is blue. There's three species, four species actually, called desert holly. Mm-hmm. We have one growing in Colorado, Barbarus or Mahonia Fremontii, Fremont's Barberry, if you will, which is another name for them. Um, then there's Mahonia hematocarpa. Uh, and then the third, which I finally got a hold of, is Mahonia trifolia leda. And now I'm looking for the fourth. I think that's the last one, and that's Mahonia swayzei. Which one is the one that you have that has the gorgeous fruit? That would be Humatocarpa. That's Humatocarpa? Yeah, Fremontii okay. does, too. In my yard, they're and they're edible. slow growing. And they're edible and really quite delicious. Very good. But boy, are they prickly. Yeah, they, they are. <laughs> You don't grow <laughs> crawling around underneath them, which I've been doing over the past two weeks. Unless you're wearing lots of clothes. And then and they gloves. Prick, they prickle right through your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> so make a good hedge. Yeah. Oh keep boy. the neighborhood kids out of the yard. Not only neighborhood kids, but I think it'll keep a rhinoceros out too, should <laughs> there be some of those running yeah. around. But they are gorgeous plants. My goodness they are. Beautiful. But try to find one in a garden center. Nobody ever, when they do have them, nobody ever has more than like 10. And then there'll be years that go by, nobody has any. Mm-hmm. And then they suddenly appear here and there, and then they're gone again. The problem is they don't grow very fast as a seedling. It takes them years to get up and look like a decent one-gallon plant. Mm-hmm. And by, the then, by then, you've spent three or four, maybe five years getting it up to that stage. And now the price of it is, you know, three, four, five years in cost, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to pay that much for a one-gallon plant. Well, I would if I, you know, because oh, yeah. we know what it is. Well, but if you don't know what it is, you'll yeah. just kind of look at it and laugh. Well, I won't pay that price because I already have lots of them. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> you started yours from seed. Yeah, starting from seed, and finally they're up in, in large, large size. But gorgeous plants, folks. Um, ever blue. They, they look like holly plants. The, the leaves look exactly like hollies. Holly, they're, but they're blue in color, and then they're just covered in the spring with uh, yellow, very, very fragrant flowers, followed with red fruit. And lots of it. And lots of it that hangs on, typically hangs on until the next spring. And then the robins typically come in and just devastate it, which is fine. 
you know, have had it. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a four-season four plant. Apparently the robins don't mind the prickles. I don't know how they do that. I don't either. And I don't know how the rabbits run up underneath them and just sit there yeah. on top of those old dried prickly leaves. Yeah. But apparently it doesn't bother them. Anyway, we, we chatted on here. We'd love to talk to you instead. 303-477-2473. It's the magic number to get in here. So write it down. Put it in your in your phone log someplace. We know some people that have had it tattooed on the back of their hand. <laughs> Just in case. On their spouse's forehead. <laughs> yeah, so they can read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah, write it down in, in grease pencil if you have to. Well, we're getting calls now, yeah. so that's well, a good thing. Well, finally. Yeah. Well, jeepers. Have you been uh, sowing any seeds lately? I'm about to. I'm hoping today or tomorrow because I've been getting seeds like crazy in the mail, mm-hmm. some of which uh, needs to be stratified, and I think we got time yet to put them outside underneath snow. My, my seed pot's outside. Um, are under like three feet of snow right now. That's a good thing. I powdered on top of them. And now I have to chip away and find out where that partially empty flat is so I can put more (laughs) (laughs) seed pots out there. I think I know how I can do this. but It's an easy way of doing it. It really does. I mean, a lot of seed has to go through a period of, of being cool and moist at the same time. All of which that, that can be provided outdoors over the winter underneath snow. And the snow melts and keeps them moist so I don't have to go out there and water them. And that's called the stratification. That's called stratification. And then there's another method called scarification. That's entirely. It sounds the same, but it's <coughs> entirely different. Entirely different. There's no cold and wet involved. No. You Typically, seed that needs to be, oh, I guess there are seeds that need to be scarified and, and also stratified. Really? Yeah. Well, they really don't want to grow, do they? They they really don't. (laughs) You wonder. Now, how does Mother Nature do that? I know. uh, Scarification is where you you chip through the seed coat. Yeah, in in any number of ways of doing it. Some people, uh, bigger operations do it with actually sulfuric acid. Is that Uh, right? Yeah, I'm not advising anybody to use that. Sandpaper works. Sandpaper works. You can use a nail file. You can use a nail clipper. Um, and obviously, to do that, we're talking about seeds that are big enough to handle. Yes, that would be it would be handy if the seed was was large enough you could, you know, put it between your two fingers and file it. Mm-hmm. But some of them aren't. Uh, and another scarification treatment is to and this doesn't sound like the same thing we've been talking about, but it is to put them in a glass of almost boiling water. Just pour it over them and let mm-hmm. them sit there. And that dissolves enough of the seed coat well, to let the water in? Yeah, what it does, it dissolves the, the wax that's in the micro pile. Sorry to get specific here. <laughs> but there, most, of, most of the legumes have an opening in the seed that's, that's filled with a wax. Okay. And the hot water melts the wax and allows the water to get into the seed. I'll be darned. So that it then imbibes another specific term. It just, it just means it takes up water. And that allows it to germinate. Yeah. So there, if you have some problems getting your seeds to germinate or you have some you don't know what to do with, call us up here and uh, we'll talk about it. I know some of them, but there are tons of out there that I don't know. 
But we have Mr. Giggle we can go to. That's right. Well, we've got full lines right now. We need to take a break. We'll come back and talk to Pat, Rob, and Carol as quick as we can. Right after this on Legends 810. Spring is right around the corner, and we couldn't be more excited to get our gardens growing. If you're in need of seed, Botanical Interests has you covered this season. Their carefully chosen varieties are third-party tested to ensure successful germination rates, so you can be confident that you're getting high-quality seed every time. Not only are their seeds non-GMO project verified, but they also set you up for success by providing detailed sowing instructions and organic gardening advice inside each seed packet. With over 600 gardener-approved varieties to choose from, including tried-and-true heirlooms, organic seeds, native varieties, and easy-to-grow essentials, there's sure to be something for everyone. Find Botanical Interests high-quality seeds at thousands of independent garden centers across the country or online at botanicalinterests.com. Can I interest you in a little bit of elegance today? If so, then Tagawa Gardens is the place for you. This is Luann Aiken, Tagawa's Garden Ambassador. Come see beautiful African violets and their cousins, the fairy-like Streptocarpus, as the Rocky Mountain African Violet Society and the Rocky Mountain Streptocarpus Council return to Tagawa's for their annual plant sale. That's today only at Tagawa's from 10 until 3. With our recent sub-freezing temperatures, this is a great time to offer a little extra TLC to our backyard birds. Foods like black oil sunflower seeds and suet blocks are excellent for their high-fat content. Those extra calories can be a huge help for the birds with so many weeks of cold weather still to come. And don't forget that Tagawa's is now accepting applications for dozens of seasonal positions for this spring and summer. If working in a place full of plants and friendly people appeals to you, Download an application from our website, tagawagardens.com. Just fill it out and drop it off at guest services. Come see us at Tagawa's. We are your garden store and so much more. Did you fight a yard full of pesky weeds last year? Fertilome has a solution for that. Stop those weed seeds from ever coming up with Fertilome for All Seasons, one of the longest-lasting weed preventers on the market. It will prevent crabgrass, spurge, purslane, and other weeds for up to six months. So apply it early and let it do the work. It also has a unique blend of slow-release fertilizer that contains important micronutrients, including iron, that will green up your yard all summer long. Use the product the professionals use, Fertilome for All Seasons. Look for Fertilome for All Seasons at these and other independent garden centers. Nick's Garden Center in Aurora, Tagawa Garden Center in Centennial, and Wilmore Nursery in Littleton. Be sure to tell them the Garden Wise Guys sent you. Do you have insects on your roses? Do you have borers damaging your trees and shrubs due to stress or the drought? Fertilone Tree and Shrub Soil Drench is a great product that will give you season-long protection against many insects. Fertilone Tree and Shrub Soil Drench is a systemic that can act as a preventer or a curative for insects that suck or chew on the leaves or bore under the bark. 
This may be the easiest product to use. Simply measure, mix in a bucket, and pour around the base of the tree. No messy spraying involved, and an application can last up to one year. Apply in early spring so your plants are fully protected before the bugs show up. Protect your trees with Fertilome Tree and Shrub Soil Drench. Find it at your favorite local independent nursery, garden center, or hardware store, including Nick's Garden Center in Aurora, Jared's Nursery in Littleton, and the Flower Bin in Longmont. Be sure to tell them that the Garden Wise Guys sent you. And we are back. We were just commenting uh, our shoveling snow over the last three or four weeks but uh, at, at zero or five degrees you get the snow off the sidewalk and you look out there and it's melting yeah the snow is melting see wet water on the sidewalk isn't that because of our high uv it, it, well yeah <laughs> <laughs> and seeing what they call steam rising from the road which is why i i i don't shovel my entire driveway or the entire walkway around my house i shovel I just I just push the scoop and make one pass. And the rest will melt. And the rest melts. Yep. I, why, why exhaust myself? Yeah. I shoveled a lot. Somewhere I have, I measured all the sidewalks, the square area, square footage. And I can't find that. No, it's here somewhere. You have a lot, though. You're on a corner lot. And you it's have a corner good lot, size lot. And it's a double wide sidewalk. Yeah. Nobody else in the neighborhood has that. Yeah. City made us do that. Really? Yeah. We put a new porch on many years ago now, and put a sidewalk, a new sidewalk from the porch out to the main sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And the city said, "Hmm, we're going to make you widen your entire sidewalk, so it's now double wide. We can park a trailer on it." <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else has that single wide wide sidewalk. Yeah. Which is, motorcycle the, which, is what, yeah, which is what the city mandated many, many years sure, ago. Sure, sure. But now they've seen the error of their ways. Oh, well, yeah, but you're grandfathered in in more ways than yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, watch it. <laughs> uh, let's get out to the phones. We've got Pat Narvada waiting <clears throat> to talk to us this morning. Good morning, Pat. Hi. Um, of course, I'm propagating still and trying yeah. to make it to May. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so uh, all of a sudden I came up with a hell of a... Uh, infestation of aphids uh-huh and uh so i well first i used neem and then i changed to castile soap and i guess i'm supposed to do that for a couple of weeks and i don't know what you know that will you know give me when i actually go to put them outside now if they still have aphids on them um what uh, then I'm, how long am i going to have to treat here well, you know, I've never used the Castile soap, but, you know, fortunately, I mean, if you're going to get an insect infestation, aphids is probably the best one to get. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. Because <laughs> they're the easiest to get rid of. And, and if, uh, if you can actually just even rinse the plants off, uh, that'll get rid of the majority of them. They're very wimpy bugs. Once you rinse them off, they, they typically can't crawl back up on the plant. Um, but if they persist then you may need to go to something stronger than a soapy water spray. If I put them outside, can I stop thinking the uh, ladybugs and whatever else will get those? 
Well, I think you have to keep in mind that any plant you put outside is probably going to get infested with aphids that day. Because aphids oh, wow. are everywhere. They're in the air. They're flying. You know, if the temperature is right. Uh, well, and typically, they don't turn into a problem. But like you said, there are ladybugs and other things. That, and, and birds, too, will pick them off. And earwigs and yeah. all sorts of things eat aphids. Okay. So, uh, so my coleus plants are three feet from the infested plants, and I've got 28 of them. What is the chances I'm going to end up with those on those coleus? Yep, you will. Yeah, the chances are pretty high. Unless you get busy. Um, I use, in, in my basement where I've got coleus, I don't have any um, impatience, but I have coleus and a lot of other things that are prone to aphids, <coughs> like, oh, you know, giant leafed cannas. Um, I use uh, the Bayer Rose and Flower Spray It's odorless So you can use it indoors And it's systemic So once you spray it on It's carried throughout the plant And and that will get all those aphids That are hiding from you Oh wow I wish I would have known that Bear rose and flower spray. Well, and with all of those coleus, it's going to be a lot harder to spray those than it is to spray these sun patients. Well, the cool thing about a systemic like the Bayer product is that you don't have to spray underneath the leaf. Oh, that's right. Wow. You can just spray over the top and it's absorbed into the leaf and into the sap stream. Oh, that would be good. Then that should get rid of them. Really well. Yes, very sure. quickly. Yeah. Yes, usually within a, few, a day or two. Wow, I haven't seen any on my coleus, but that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah, and you might you might give a light spray to all the rest of your coleus while you're at it. Yeah, the and I use the um, systemic insect granules too when I need to on particularly problem plants like coleus that will get not only aphids but white fly and spider mites and sometimes they even make up bugs that don't exist and and get infested with those so uh, i usually just give a, a a prophylactic treatment of systemic insect granules to prevent that from happening so should i use the spray or the granules you can use both if, if you have if you have active insects i'd use the spray because that's the fastest acting oh, okay. and then the granules you could follow up with just to give a longer lasting protection so how long do you have to do that with a spray, or do you spray once? Or Well, if it's a light infestation, typically once is enough. Um, but I would look at maybe spraying twice, about two weeks apart. Oh, okay, okay. I'll try that. <coughs> um, take me through the uh, blueberry, uh, growing blueberry thing. I know they need aesthetic soil. Yes, they do. Would it be do. worth doing it? <laughs> In containers, I wouldn't try... It's it's harder to do it in the ground, don't okay. you think, Jim? Oh yeah, absolutely harder. Yeah, I tried containers and use almost pure peat moss yes. as the soil. Uh huh. Oh wow. Yeah, I've, in fact, I've been checking around town, and none of the garden centers carry an acidic potting soil, a, a potting soil for acid-loving plants, which makes no sense to me because they all sell gardenias and blueberries yeah. and azaleas and rhododendrons <coughs> yeah. and. The list goes on and on of plants that like an acid soil that we sell here, but we don't have an acid potting soil to sell customers, which makes no sense. So 
I would recommend, with, particularly with blueberries, to grow them in a large container, like a whiskey barrel half or something along that size, with practically nothing in there except peat moss. Okay. Do they need a lot of water? Yes. Yeah. And keep in mind, our water is very alkaline. It's at a high pH. Which is bad. Yeah, it is, because even the peat moss will, the, that high pH water will, will affect the peat moss as well. So to maintain that acidity, you'll want to make sure that on a regular basis you use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants to help keep that pH low. I don't know if this would be worth it or not. Actually, maybe I should change to raspberries. That's better. <laughs> <They'll>, <laughs> they adapt to our soils. It's fun to grow blueberries simply because it's an interesting experiment. It's, it's fun to try. It's a fun project. Probably not a long-lived project. <laughs> But it's something that's you know everybody everybody should try once just to see what it's like. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess uh, that's uh, good information, something for me to think about anyway. All righty. Well, thank you so much mm-hmm. for your help, and uh, I guess we'll just waiting for spring here, right? Yeah. Isn't that the truth? I'm. I can't wait. It's 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 getting to be a problem for me. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I get that. Okay. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks, right, Pat. Too. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Speaking Love of spraying plants, uh, they're beginning to look at spraying in the greenhouse, which has always been a problem. Um, you have to pay attention to re entry times, you have to pay mm-hmm. attention to wearing the right gear, full suited outfit. In some cases, you have to have your own internal. Uh, air supply, and it just gets really, really complicated and really very expensive. Now they're looking at using drones. That in, makes sense. In the greenhouse. Yeah. And you have to be a good operator because there's you know, lots of things to bump into. But the spray overhead the, of the plants from a drone. No, I love that. No people required except one. And he can, see, and he can stand outside the greenhouse to do this. Yeah. But how do they how do they deal with the weight of the spray? Well, it's just a bigger drone. I guess so. I mean, they got drones that can fly from this country to other countries across an entire ocean. Well, yeah, but they wouldn't fit in a greenhouse and <laughs> and deliver whatever they need to deliver, and then yeah. land at a nearby airport. Yeah. So it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen where they're using drones out in the field to plant trees. Yes, planting trees. They shoot them into the ground. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and also spraying out, outdoors yeah. with using drones. Yeah. It, I think it's brilliant. Technology. That's brilliant, absolutely. I mean, the drones, are, in this case, are not going to be cheap. They've got to be, like you said, they're strong enough to carry you know, a gallon or more of uh, mm-hmm. liquid. Yeah. And that's kind of heavy. So, But they make them that size. Sure. All right, back out to the phones. Rob is waiting to talk to us out in Highlands. Good morning, Rob. Hey, Keith and Jim. How are you this morning? Fine. Just ducky. What's going on with you? Good. Uh, well, you are talking about the hardiness gene for palm trees earlier. Yeah. And then you were talking about germinating seeds, and I kind of put those together, and it brought up a memory of about 20 years ago. Uh, my uncle in Florida, who used to live in Colorado, he grew up here, but he moved to West Palm Beach. And... You know, a few years into his movie, sent me three uh, coconuts from a coconut palm. Uh-huh. And he said, okay, get a five-gallon container, 
fill it with a bunch of sand and loam mixed and put these in a certain end down. I'll paint them first with an antifungal, the bottom part of it. Okay. And then stick them on there and keep them wet. Make sure they drain, but water them every day outside mm-hmm. in your garden. He said, they should work, you know, because he's done it down there. I'm like, well, of course it works down there. So I tried it, and nothing came of it for months. And I, I had it in like June or something, and I thought, okay. I, th- I'm not, I thought I'd ask you guys, do you think there's any way to make that work here? I don't know the why you couldn't do the same thing here. Um, just keep them warm and moist. Keep them moist. And I, it should work, I would think. I would think so. I mean, that's how, I mean, that's how they start coconut palms for, for um, houseplants and that sort of thing. Right. I mean, you couldn't keep it more than a year or two if you had a greenhouse. You'd probably have to give it to yeah, the right. organic exactly. gardens if they yeah. wanted it. But, you know. No, I, it, they don't want it. Don't try don't bother. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> if they wanted some, they'd have done it decades ago. Right. Do you think there's anybody I could order one or order two from? And oh, boy. I, I'll bet you could. I have no idea who would offer them, but you know, go online, coconut palms for sale. Okay. And yeah, you'll find yeah, yeah, you'll find so, somebody who who sell you one that has just germinated. Okay. I don't don't know that the coconuts from the grocery store would actually work. I I don't know. There's got to be an age at which uh, they don't become viable anymore, but I I don't know what that is. Maybe you have to water them with seawater. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Well, he sent me the whole husk, too. It was, it yeah, yeah. Coconut. I think you need that. Thing. I think you need all of that together. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think so. Right. I, I, I'm not sure why, because they do husk, de-husk, if you will, the coconuts. You would think that would make it easier, but and, and maybe it does. I just don't know. But I bet you could go on Google and, and, and just Google how, how to start a coconut palm from a coconut. Yeah. And it'll tell you exactly uh-huh. how to do it. I'll probably give that a shot. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You sure bet, thing. Rob. Thanks for calling. Yeah. There aren't many people growing coconuts anywhere anymore unless it's a, pa- a plantation. Mm-hmm. They're dangerous. Well, yeah. You wouldn't want to have one fall 30 feet uh, and hit you in the head. They've been pulling them out in Hawaii along streets and stuff. But there are still some parks that have them in there, and they go in every probably every two years. They go in there and they cut off all the coconuts that have formed over the, I'm going to say two years. I don't know what the time period yeah. is. And let them fall. Of course, they, never, they put crime tape up everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you can't go into these areas. And they, and they and there's one park I saw. They just piled them up close to where people come in and said, you know, take them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people do. They take them. Well, and then there's those well, bunya bunya trees or whatever yeah. in, in like San Francisco or the West Coast someplace. When they produce cones they can weigh what 20 pounds yes they're dangerous and they're tall trees <clears throat> i can't imagine getting hit by one of those well i, I wouldn't be able to imagine it because i'd be dead i think they're spiky too aren't they the fruits i don't know <laughs> i wouldn't be surprised and they're probably poisonous <laughs> too why not they carry <laughs> deadly snakes yeah <laughs> <clears throat> that's where they live inside them that's right <laughs> no just kidding people that that doesn't actually go on all right do we have time to take another call? It doesn't look like we do. So, Carol, I need you to hold on. You're going to be next up on the call list. We've got to take a, a quick break here at the top of the hour, but it's, like I said, it's quick. It is quick, the quickest one in radio anywhere. So don't go around. Stay tuned right here to Legends 810.